0: You're listening to The Road to Philanthropy with Gary Cohn, a podcast series on giving and working with nonprofits. This podcast is produced by Painted Rock Advisors, a consulting hub providing services to the philanthropic and nonprofit communities. We bring together your values and wealth with opportunities to do good work and make the world a better place. What can we do to help you? Contact us at PaintedRockAdvisors at gmail.com.
1: Hi, this is Gary Cohn, and welcome to The Road to Philanthropy, a podcast series on everything in the nonprofit, business, and philanthropic world. Today our guest is Moses Libisky, founder and president of Libisky Property Companies. Moses attended the Brandeis University, where he obtained a degree in physics with a subspecialty in computer science. He founded Abacus Data Systems, a successful computer company back in 1975. He switched and began working in real estate in 1978, specializing in commercial rehabilitation. Moses has successfully directed many projects, many of which are still owned and held for lease. Moses currently works with the Lubitsky Family Foundation to enrich the community and serves as a senior vice president of the Washington Institute of Near East Policy. He has served on the boards of the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, APAC, the Jewish Federation of the East Bay, the Jewish Community Foundation, Friends of Israel Political Action Committee, and one of my favorites, the Shabo Space and Science Center. He's a council member of the Muslim Jewish Advisory Council, an interfaith bipartisan collaboration convened by the American Jewish Committee and the Islamic Society of North America. Thank you, Moses, for joining us. You've had Thank a very you. interesting career, and I, I'd like to start maybe along the lines of how you got to the college you went to and how you moved into the business world.
0: Well, uh, I couldn't afford to go to too many places. Brandeis gave me a scholarship, so that that, that kind of nailed that. <laughs> and you know, that's how I ended up going there, really. And what was your
1: first job after college?
0: Well, the first job I I uh, I got was was actually, uh, you know, I went back, I went to school back in the uh, hippy dippy days, as they say. And uh, the first job I got out of college was as an apprentice glass cutter because I figured I needed to do something creative. And uh, after a couple months of doing that, and I found out it wasn't so creative, I was actually working on a production line where they were etching glass faces. I left and uh, said, okay, what can I do? Well, I'd learned some computer stuff in school. So I ended up getting a a job in the computer industry. And that's where I kind of uh, uh, wandered around for a number of years.
1: And and for my listeners, I've known Moses for probably about 25 or 30 years now. And uh, I never realized he had a computer degree or was involved in computers until I looked at his bio finally this week. So that was a a little bit of a surprise. And what brought you to the real estate business?
0: Well, I I was involved in computers back in ancient times. You know, back in those days, uh, you (laughs) had uh, special air conditioning. There were huge things that filled up a room uh, and, uh, uh, you know, you worked with punch cards and uh, multiple runs of cards through computers. It was really. uh, uh, something very different and today the the iphone that i keep in my pocket is many times more powerful than the business computers i worked on back in those days so uh, after working in the computer business for a while doing working for various companies doing consulting doing other things i said you know this is too much work for too little money so i gotta find a better thing to do so i went to the library and that's what people did in those days there was no internet went to the library started going through the business section uh, finally spotted a book said how I made a million dollars in real estate, starting with a thousand in my spare time, and then the million was crossed out, changed to three million. I said, gee, that sounds interesting. <laughs> so, so I went home, I read the book, I said, hmm, this is not so complicated, I can do this. And I just followed the formula, that's all. And very
1: successfully, I might add,
0: uh, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. When, when you
1: started your own company, what was the biggest challenge of, of running your own business for yourself, as opposed to working for others? What did you, what did you learn?
0: Well, for first, first of all, delegating was a challenge for me because I like to do everything myself. Uh, I always feel like I can do everything, and I can probably do everything the best. But that's not how you how you start a company. So, uh, uh, as things grew, and, and I needed other people to uh, to do stuff, so uh, so that we could kind of leverage everybody's time. You know, just uh, just assembling and directing a group of people on common cause was not something that my background was about. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the biggest challenge.
1: Well, it's interesting because, you know, your story and uh, and my story are similar in that we both worked our way in, uh to college, didn't have much money to start with. I just interviewed Mike Levin. and met with him a few mm-hmm. weeks ago, uh, mm-hmm. who created the Jewish Future Pledge. And I asked him the same question. He said he, he wanted to be a PR guy, but they wouldn't hire him because he was Jewish and there were no jobs. So he got a job at <laughs> <in> a hotel.
0: <laughs> that sounds familiar. Yeah. And
1: the rest was history, <laughs> as mm-hmm. they say. And that's, that's mm-hmm. a, you know so, so sometimes hard work and uh, and 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 uh, uh intelligence and and luck along the way doesn't hurt
0: either I found I myself so. working for working for a number of companies and uh doing um, very successful projects for them but i found that um, working for other people and making them successful really didn't appeal to me as much as uh, uh i figured i could just uh, if i was going to make somebody successful might as well be me I
1: didn't say so. that until i was sixty five so i'm I'm glad i did though
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Most successful people talk about mentors in their lives. Uh, do you have anybody who has a great impact on
0: you? Well, I, I don't know about back then, but I certainly, uh, you know, back back then it was really following the, uh, the wisdom of Bill Nickerson, who uh, wrote the book that I read and uh, talked about how uh, a very simple formula, a very obvious formula about how you create wealth out of real estate. He was certainly a mentor. And in my later days, uh, you know, somebody like Harold Grinspoon, who's made a lot of money in real estate and used his resources very uh, very deliberately to do some really wonderful things. He created PJ Library. And uh, as I've told Harold many times, uh, he's who I want to be when I grow up.
1: So. <laughs> we've done a lot of great work in Jewish camping too. And uh, yeah. and uh, I've been involved on camp boards uh, down in LA, uh, where I went to camp when I was a, a teenager. And we've benefited very, very much from his advice and the advice of, the, of this foundation. Uh, you've been involved in a lot of philanthropy what made you start to do philanthropy uh and get involved in that side of the business
0: well uh uh, i just say that uh, that uh, that the whole concept of being jewish and preserving the idea of being jewish is the things that's been an integral part part of me from the beginning Um, my parents are both holocaust survivors so uh, that is at my very root uh, growing up, I went through all the normal things that young people do, you know, rebelling against my background, trying to find other things, going on, on various journeys, trying, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying rejecting religion, trying Eastern religion, trying a lot of other things, until I finally realized that everything I was re- looking for was embedded within Judaism, if I just looked, and that uh, the idea of of preserving that base, the Jewish base, preserving my history, just became increasingly important to me. And as I said, my parents' Holocaust background was a, was a big influence there.
1: what What do you feel is the biggest impact you've
0: made in in the Jewish philanthropic world? Well, that's a that's a, a big question. you know look the uh, uh, you make an impact not just by what you give but by what you do. So uh, I, I don't believe in just uh, giving money to things. I really get myself involved and embedded in things. And try to make them successful, and I try to be selective in what I do. Uh, you know, the again, uh, you know, my focus is on preserving the Jewish future. So we want to make sure that we have that we have Jewish children for the future, so to make sure that the that the children know that that the next generation and the generation after that generation know about being Jewish. And I think preserving the state of Israel is very important because it is really central to Jewish identity today.
1: I'll get on base base for a second, only to say that there's a brand new movie that just came out called American Birthright, uh, which is done by a woman who was born in Israel and and was Orthodox, was not Orthodox, and trying to deal with the fact that her sister was marrying a non-Jew and while that was going on. It's a fascinating documentary that probably will get a really great Academy Award focus next year. So it'll get to the Bay Area, I'm sure, so shortly, but I'd I'd love you to, to see it and get your thoughts on it. Um, Hmm. In in your philanthropic work, you've worked for Federation and Foundation and uh, a number of organizations. Is there one that particularly speaks out to you more than others, or are they all kind of uh, doing good work and you support them and get involved in?
0: Well, they uh, uh, they are uh, all they all fulfill different parts of what I what I think is uh, the mission to preserve the future. I think probably the one one of the most uh, challenging things is making sure that Israel stays uh, stays safe and 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 uh, is preserved for the future. I, I tend to be kind of a nerd, so I get involved in a lot of policy stuff, and uh, I've really enjoyed both my work with APAC and uh, particularly my work with the Washington Institute for Near East Policy because there I think those are. I always look for philanthropic leverage, and those I think are philanthropic and political leverage. They're they're they're. They're pivot points where where uh, a few very influential people can really make a difference. So my my involvement there is something that I particularly both in those two places are things that I particularly enjoy.
1: In the last few years, you've obviously seen the transition of the East Bay Jewish Federation and the San Francisco Jewish Federation kind of combining uh, forces for the betterment of the of the whole area. Uh, What's your view of that? How involved were you in that process?
0: Uh, I was fairly involved. Uh, I mean, I, I, it struck me early on that the originally the Bay had three federations. There were three federations for historical and political reasons, things that just weren't valid anymore. And it seemed like a very inefficient arrangement to me, especially, you know, with the struggles that many Jewish organizations had. You know, it just made sense that rather than have three, there should be one. And that we should take a look at all the functions that the federation that the federation gets involved in, and see how, how most efficiently to take care of them. So, uh, yeah, I worked hard to uh, to encourage the transition from an East Bay, West Bay federation to a single federation that encompasses the Bay Area, and I think that's uh, that's been pretty successful. I think so; it works much better to, as as one than as two. Well,
1: in the philanthropic world, there's a lot of talk about collaboration, partnership, and I think that really showed a a good result. Uh, uh, from what I could tell,
0: um, I think, I think it did. It, it, it really is important. You know, the, uh, I remember listening to a talk by Michael Steinhardt, who's done many, many good things. Right. right. And, uh, the talk was about Jewish initials. He says too many damn Jewish initials. He said, you pick any three letters and there's a, there, there's a Jewish organization. And he says about half of them, we should get rid of them and half of the others we should combine. So, um, I thought those were very wise words and I listened.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know if, if it's true in the Bay Area as much, but in LA, because of the pandemic, there's a lot of uh, new uh, talk of uh, of collaborations and and not, not so much mergers as just partnerships. Uh, Two conservative synagogues in the West Valley are combining some of their activities, not all of them, because of course, you own your building, we own our building, we don't want to be in your building, that kind of thing goes on still. Uh, but for the betterment of the community, they're going to do joint programming, which is a very good thing. And a couple of big synagogues have absorbed some others, and uh, that's been going on across the country, actually. I've got clients mm-hmm. around uh, uh, the Boston area that are also combining at this point in time. Collaboration, partnership is an important thing mm-hmm. these days.
0: Yes, I agree.
1: Now, you have a brand new project and which really got my attention, which is why I wanted to do the podcast with you, which is the, I'm calling it the Dryers Project, but you probably have a different name for it, but there's a major property that my listeners don't know about in the in the middle of uh, Rockridge in the Oakland area, in the Rockridge district, uh, that has been there for years and years and property has been bought recently, a couple of years ago. And Moses, why don't you talk about your plans for that and what the reason behind it is?
0: Well, uh, yeah, Uh, first of all, uh, we've been working, I've been working with the Federation and the JCC and others for for many, many years, probably 30 years, maybe more, uh, looking for a Jewish campus. Uh, We started out at the Federation, looking at various sites around the Bay Area, they were either inappropriate. They were too expensive. There were there were a lot of different reasons that uh, that this search went on for thirty years uh, without results. One day, somebody walked into my office and said, "Look at this!" and they it's, they showed me that the, the dryers, Nestle's dryers, campus was for sale. Now, the Nestle's uh, dryers is a ice cream company that uh, originated here in Oakland. Uh, Nestle's, a big international firm, bought them a number of years ago. And uh, they were selling it for their for their own reasons. It's uh, roughly three acres of land and buildings in the middle of um, the Rockridge area of Oakland, which I think is one of the prime spots in the in the Oakland area. It's 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 hip. It's uh, it's convenient. It's got uh, uh, freeway access in all, in both directions. It's twenty minutes from downtown Walnut Creek, twenty minutes from downtown San Francisco. So it's even close to. San Francisco that has its own JCC, and it has a BART station uh, just a couple blocks away. So it's a beautiful location, tremendous access, and it would make a perfect spot for a campus. Uh, Since it was available for sale, we decided we'd buy it, and uh, it'd be a great spot for a Jewish campus. And if the Jewish community wasn't ready for it, it'd be a great business proposition too. Without having without assembling committee or anything like that, we just had to go for it because time was over the essence. So
1: I'm uh, I'm very close to that property. I used to go to Yoshi's when it was there before it moved to Jack London Square, because I'm a big jazz aficionado. And then, I'm uh, great. In my in my banking days, I actually banked the two guys that had the entire Dryers franchise in L.A. Lent them money against their Dryer stock for many years, and they became philanthropists. And ultimately, when Dryers finally bought them out when they went public, so that's a long time ago. But it's a, it's a great idea. Just came back from Austin, where I was there for a wedding this weekend, and the synagogue is on a campus site, mm-hmm. and it's probably larger than three acres because uh, with all the parking and everything attached. But it's so yes. nice to see that there's there's one entry point well, well, unfortunately, well guarded these days, which we have to have. But there's the JCC, there's a synagogue, there's educational facilities and a day school all on the same property. And it's so convenient for the people. And it's a central point. Uh, so what is the timing of the project if it does, you know, finally get converted and get built or get redone?
0: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm familiar with the project. In I've been there. Ah, and it's great. great. Michael Dell actually uh, donated the land to the community and then the community built the various buildings. And I I think my recollection of it is that there's just, just one way in or out. So there tends to be a little traffic uh, bottleneck Problem. right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a great concept. And uh, it's a concept we hope to duplicate. It'll be different, but it, it's at least the same concept to bring, to, to bring together a lot of uh, different Jewish organizations to one lo- location, because there are synergies that happen when you gather together. Right now, all our various Jews, Jewish organizations are scattered all over the place. So we hope to have enough room and an attractive enough spot that it'll be a home for not just a JCC, but um, which will be probably the the main occupant, but a number of different Jewish organizations.
1: Well, years ago before the JCC in San Francisco was rebuilt back in the 90s, I convened a meeting of uh, Temple Emmanuel, which I was the executive of at the time, and uh, Anita Friedman at the Jewish Family Services, and then Karen Robbins, who was then the JCC director, and I talked about going into the Presidio at the time and taking over property there for all of us to have a, a campus, mm-hmm. but that never quite got off the ground for whatever reason at the time. Uh, but those things happen. I remember Sissy Swig was part of that project and at least talking about it, I brought her into it, but we never really got it together. So mm-hmm. it's good to see this happening. It's a good thing.
0: I so, agree. It's, it's exciting.
1: Over your career, you've had a lot of obviously relationship with board members and uh professionals in the jewish world and the philanthropic world in, in general can you tell us about one of your favorite experiences and working with an organization
0: favorite experiences working with an organization i don't know if there's a if there's a single favorite you get excited when you when you run into a organization or group of individuals who have the same goals as you uh, you know this current project is a very exciting project because everybody that i talk to is excited about it the idea of bringing uh, a bunch of different organizations together mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the idea of bringing a, a of all the uh, the positive things that can happen when you have the energy of all these organizations working together excites everybody. So, uh, uh, you know, I've virtually, everybody I talked to is excited about it, wants to be part of it, wants to help it. Uh, we've uh, gone through a design process recently. We have our preliminary design for it. It looks incredible. And, uh, you know, you you said you uh, uh, you used to go to the Yoshis, which uh, the old Yoshis was turned into a conference center on this campus. We will have a a, uh, facility there where we'll be able to play Jewish jazz or any kind of jazz on the project, too. So we hope to have it a real to be a real community center place where people can come for all kinds of things to work together.
1: Well, I I know my friend Jeff Morgan over at Covenant Winer would be happy about that because he just had his first public performance as a jazz musician 20 years, and it was pretty interesting watching him play.
0: (laughs) That's great. Yeah.
1: You know, a lot of boards have, and I do a lot of work with board development and and, and conflict resolution on boards. How do you deal with board members that aren't quite toeing the line and and, uh, finding consensus that are in there for their own agendas in some sort or another?
0: No, that always happens. I mean, you, I don't know what you do. You beat them up. Uh, No, Um, uh, look, there's, there's always some people who have concerns, who have, uh, who have their own agendas and, and you sit down and, and you work through them. I mean, sometimes concerns are legitimate and sometimes they are not. So uh, that's how you work with any, with anything. You kind of work through the issues and sometimes the legitimate issues, you just introduce to everybody else and and incorporate it. Right.
1: I'm on the board of Hillel 818 at Cal State Northridge, and uh, mm-hmm. one of the things we talk about is that when I joined the board, there was a lot of parking lot meetings going on. After the board meeting, people would mingle in the parking lot and still be talking, and we've kind of eliminated those, so it's a good thing. And. Uh, Everybody talks about the fact that parking lot meetings after a meeting is not a good thing (laughs) because you're going to find consensus in the actual meeting. The best thing about Temple Emanuel was we never had a parking lot in San Francisco, so Hmm. we could never have those. It would be sidewalk meetings, and it was very visible (laughs) if it ever happened. Uh, Well,
0: I think think the sidewalk parking lot meetings are, are very useful because it means that people are still engaged. Right and and they don't become disengaged after the meeting. So I actually like that and uh, it doesn't mean that that the meetings themselves aren't useful or productive. It just means that people talk about things uh, either in agreement or a disagreement afterwards. So it's it's useful to work through that stuff.
1: So you, you do a lot in the Jewish community, obviously we've talked about that. Do you do much philanthropy in the non-jewish community?
0: Uh, my, my philanthropy is mostly Jewish, but certainly there's a there's a component of uh, non-jewish giving. I mean we we support things like the jazz center and the symphony and other things like that, uh, you know, cultural things that are important, and then also other aspects of the community.
1: Well, I said earlier that I really uh, am, uh, love the Chabot Space Center up in the Oakland Hills, because mm-hmm. it was about two minutes from my house when I lived up there. We used to walk mm-hmm. up the hill and take my daughter when she was a young girl into the, into the, uh, the space center there and just wonderful things. How did you get involved in, in that project?
0: Well, you know, you you saw my bio. I'm a scientist, so uh, ah, right, uh, that um, that that had a certain appeal to me. So, uh, uh, yeah, having a space and science center in the Oakland Hills was really exciting, and I like looking through the telescopes and seeing all kinds of stuff out there, and being able to see the exhibits and talk about them too. So, yeah, it was uh, it, it appealed to another one of my interests.
1: Well, I was kind of unfortunately forced to move back to LA, and I still miss the Oakland Hills immensely i wish i could still be up there with you guys <laughs>
0: yeah 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 it's it's beautiful
1: when you're not working what do you like to do
0: i don't know is there such a thing as not working um, <laughs> that's
1: uh, a good point
0: <laughs> yeah to me uh, to me it's uh, it's all a continuum. I, I i enjoy what i do i enjoy the philanthropic stuff i do and i think one feeds the other uh, the philanthropy philanthropy is actually a big part of our business everybody in the office here is encouraged to work philanthropically with whatever it is that they're interested in. So we, can, we support community, things in the community, uh, art exhibit here in Emeryville, the Oakland Promise Program, which uh, works to educate young people and assure that young people have a, have a path to college and other things like that. So uh, business and philanthropy, I think for me, at least go hand in hand and we encourage everybody in the office to see, see things similarly.
1: Is there anything I missed I forgot to ask you in this
0: little short interview? There are certainly challenges for the for the uh, uh, for the Jewish community today. I mean, anti-Semitism is out there. It's it's amazing how everything you know how the Jews always end up on the short end of things mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason. Everybody has their own reasons, but uh, but it's always always the Jews and the 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 anti-Semitism that's becomes disguised as anti-Zionism is a, is a thing to to work on is a thing to be concerned about too so i know that uh, that uh, it's something that i run into with many many people everybody sees everybody sees it differently and it's uh, certainly something that we have to deal with you know i it reminds me of the tom lear song you know national brotherhood week yes <laughs> you know and he goes I remember you know, that song <laughs> yeah the, you know the the the, the protestants hurt the catholics and the catholics of the protestants and he goes on to the list, but everybody hates the jews right so right. and that's how it always seems to to end up
1: well, I spent a lot of years with the Jewish Agency and with Technion uh, raising money for both organizations. And, you know, with the stuff going on in Ukraine right now, the Jewish Agency has sent a ton of people in there to do work uh, along with federations and, and that support. And we have so many people on the ground there, former colleagues of mine that are that are working hard to try to help people and, and preserve the history that's there as well as the life mm-hmm. that's there. It's going to be very interesting what happens there. But it seems like the world is behind the Ukrainians as opposed to uh,
0: not... Paying attention to what's going on over there. Well, I'm, I'm glad they're paying attention, and I'm glad you mentioned the Jewish Agency. I mean, what makes us unique as Jews is, is that we really are an interconnected community, and as a community, we take care of one another. And so, the Jewish Agency has an important role in in, in helping us take care of other Jews in the world. You know, I'm grateful that they're there. I'm I'm grateful that they're that they stepped in uh, to the situation in the Ukraine. Uh, the situation there is horrible. It's really Really awful, not just for Jews but for everybody. But uh, uh, but I'm glad the Jewish agencies they're doing what they do uh, for uh, for our people there.
1: And there's a lot of good things going on in 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 the United States for young Jews now too, which I think is different than 20 years ago. I, I love the book that Zach Bodner just wrote, uh, "Why mm-hmm. Do Jewish," which is really a great expose on you know how you you bring uh, Judaism to everybody rather than just sitting in the synagogue. I remember years ago when i was part of the correct initiative uh, at emmanuel we had a consortium of rabbis together and executives talking about the future of uh, of jewish life in san francisco and i said i made the crazy statement that if 80 percent of the people are not affiliated to jewish organizations then we're not doing something right we're doing something wrong we got to figure this out and i think a lot has happened in the last 20 25 years along mm-hmm. the lines and you've been very much part of that and i i appreciate that support that you've given to to all the Jewish agencies and organizations without in the Bay Area. Thank you yeah. so much for being part of the, the podcast. I I appreciate it and my listeners I sure will uh, appreciate it. If anybody wants to get more involved in any of your projects, how might they do that? Uh is there a website or anything with the Jew- New Jewish project or in the, the Drivers project?
0: Well, we are we are in the in the process of putting together a brochure, a budget, and the website right now. If anybody wants uh, wants to know more or uh, wants to uh hear, their put input on anything, they're welcome to mail me, email me. Okay. Um, email is moses at libitsky.com. And Libitsky is spelled L-I-B-I-T-Z-K-Y, no S. But uh, go ahead and email me and I'm happy. I'll, I'll guarantee I'll respond.
1: And I'd like to advise my listeners, don't all 4,000 of you do it at one time. <laughs> but those that are interested also can contact me and I will also
0: connect you. So thank if, you very if, much, Moses. If, if, I, if I get 4,000 at once, it means I can respond to everybody with one email. So that's great. <laughs> OK. <laughs> thank you very much. Gary, thanks very much.
1: Thank you again for listening
0: to The Road to Philanthropy.
1: As a philanthropic advisor and a nonprofit consultant, I encourage people to get involved and volunteer in their community as well as make financial gifts. Currently, I'm serving on the board of Hallel 818 at Cal State Northridge, and I'm gonna be the vice chairman of the board of Safe Parking LA, which provides parking for the homeless who live in their vehicles. I encourage you all to get involved. Also, I'd like to give you a recap, in case you just joined us recently on the road to philanthropy, about some of our previous guests. They've included Lisa Tabak, Director of Philanthropy for the Jewish Community Federation of San Francisco. Sarah Jennings, Senior Philanthropy Officer for the V Foundation, Fighting Cancer. Michael Lawrence, working for Beit Izzy Shapiro as the Head of Development, an Israeli nonprofit that provides young adults, children, and even some older adults. In addition, we met with philanthropist Lisa Greer, who wrote the book Philanthropy Revolution. We interviewed Larry and Laura Cohen philanthropist in the community, both at UCLA and Jewish causes. Cindy Rogerway spoke about interest-free dreams with the Hebrew Free Association. Casey Summer, legal firm for nonprofits, advising nonprofits. And the latest one, the founder of the Jewish Future Pledge, Mike Levin, who has a very interesting story to tell. I encourage you to listen. Thank you again for joining us on The Road to Philanthropy.